John's trophies in the bag. My name's Mark Isles, and I'm the Chief Football Writer of the Bolton News. We're back after a post-Wembley sojourn and ready to bring you a show with more wondrous segments than a can of Mario Espatero's mandarins. And on the show this week, and on the buff this week, win a signed commentary chart of the Papa John's Trophy final from Clive Tilsley himself. We look ahead to two games on the road at Oxford United and Burton Albion. The buff gets serious for a minute as we discuss Kyle Dempsey and his future at Bolton Wanderers. And things get ludicrous once more as our resident tunesmith Simon Wood serenades the Latin American Wanderers supporters. But first, it's the time many of you will have already fast-forwarded to and tuned in for. It's the Clive Tilsley commentary chart competition. I have got one of these A3 signed by Clive on the back. It's got a certificate of authentication. It looks absolutely stunning. All the details that Clive will use commentating on the game. It's absolutely it's a work of art, no question. It deserves to be hung in, uh, in any office of any Wondrous fan anywhere. And to be in with a chance of winning one for your very self, all you have to do is answer the following simple question. Are you ready? Who scored the fourth and final goal for Wanderers in their 4-0 win against Plymouth Argyle in the Papa John's Trophy final? The fourth and final goal. Okay, to enter that competition, you need to send an email with the title. The title of the email must be Buff Competition. You are sending this email to thebuffmail at gmail.com. A mail, as we always say, is M-A-I-L. On that email, I need your answer. Obviously, who scored the fourth and final goal for Wanderers in their 4-0 win against Plymouth? I need your full name. I need your address. And I need a contact number. If all those things are not on there, I cannot accept the entry. And we won't be accepting any new emails after 9am on Monday, April the 17th. So you've got a few days to do this after the buff comes out. The competition is only open to our UK listeners for postal purposes. Um, I know there's loads of international listeners out there, but if you can get yourself a UK contact to enter, sort it from there maybe, or a UK address to have it sent to, no problem sorting that for you. Um, Other than that, normal competition rules apply. All the entries will be put into a random draw and a winner will be picked out by Henry on Monday afternoon, after which I will contact you to say whether you've won or not. We'll also put a message out on Twitter, Facebook, and of course we'll mention it on next week's podcast. If you want to take a look at the commentary charts and buy one for yourself, then please do go to www.commentarycharts.com. Stunning stuff, loads of really big games 
um, England games, all the all the big stuff that Clive Tills has done in his career, which is is manyfold. Let's face it, it's a great gift for any Wanderers fan. The Papa John's Trophy one, uh, Father's Day is coming up as well. Don't forget. So that is an open goal for me, Clive. All of this information will be in the notes for the podcast. And we'll give you a reminder of that address at the end of the show too. Best of luck, folks. And if you don't get that question right, there is something wrong. Okay, last week I deprived him of a chance to celebrate the win at Wembley because I was on holiday in Gran Canaria and Mrs. Isles wouldn't let me bring my podcast kit uh, and spend an entire day editing a show, I suppose. Um, But now we are going to give my co-host, Henry Hewitt, 10 seconds to get it out of his system. Go, Henry. Oh, what a day. What a day. I think I've watched the highlights 20 times, the full match three times, and uh, just been... I've I've been waving my flag around the house. My wife is just sick of it. She's about to leave me, but I don't care. Bolton won at Wembley. Uh, right, that's enough. No more singing, no more flag waving, no more dancing now. Uh, there's six games to go, and Wanderers have got to get into the playoffs. Two matches last weekend on the Easter weekend against Exeter on Good Friday, 1-1-0. 1-1 draw against Cambridge on Monday, and it's all gone a bit serious now, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. But, I mean, you know, I, I was looking at the fixtures. Somebody, uh, I, I forget who it was, and it could well be you, Mark, because I know you do this sort of stuff. But somebody's put the fixtures, remaining fixtures on Twitter of ourselves, Derby, Peterborough, Portsmouth and Wickham. And I had a look and I thought, those other teams have got tough runnings. Whereas Bolton, I think if we win our three own games and then get a point somewhere, I think 10 points will be fine. So I've, I'm quite chilled, to be honest. Yeah, it would have been great to beat Cambridge. But, uh, no, we'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> Please don't let that clip be replayed <laughs> at the end of the season and thrown back in our faces. Um, I mean, I, I'm with you. I am actually quite chilled. I am actually quite chilled. I look back and think, you know, you've got four points over those two games. Normally speaking, especially if you'd have reversed, if you'd have got mm. points at Exeter and then beaten Cambridge, there would have been absolutely no issue at all. It was just really... The fact that the Cambridge game ended on such a sour note with the equaliser on was it ninety five minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was, and I, I mean we weren't at our best against Cambridge. I think even the manager would would agree with that, and uh, you know I think they were. I don't think we created that much either. So to get the goal was quite, uh, which is unusual for Bolton because we tend to create loads and then only score one. But um, but no, I think. And I know they're at the bottom, uh, but I thought they, they defended really well. We couldn't break them down. I, You know, a lot's been said of the subs, but I thought the subs came on and changed the game. So I think he, he made good subs and he just tended to put the players in who were being rested. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, what the manager said after the game is, is right. Some of those players who have come in have done themselves some good and some haven't. But, um, you know, I think... Yeah, on the whole, it's, we've said it all season, it's important to look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that Bolton are sixth in the league with a game in hand uh, with six games to go. And we would have took that at the end at the start of the season. And as I said, looking at the fixtures, I think we'll be fine. We'll go back to Good Friday then, because the Exeter game, I was watching it by the pool um, on my on my phone, listening to Derek Clark. Um who, by the way, I, I never got a chance to mention it, but uh, did you hear at Wembley, they did a big montage of all the Papa John's Trophy clips and Derek 
was talking over the top of all of them. And I thought, oh, wow, how cool that must be to yeah. listen to yourself commentate at Wembley. And I turned around to say, Derek, have you heard this? And he, was, he wasn't there. He was back in the press room feeding himself his second curry of the day. I'm like, <laughs> and I completely missed the entire lot of it. Look, I think there's a, a, a siren out of my window. That's how, that's how serious it was. Um, yeah, Derek, Derek had about his fifth dinner and he completely missed his, his proudest commentary moment. Oh, I mean, those those Scots love the curry, uh, so I can't blame him. And to be fair, and I'm sure, I don't know, but I'm sure you can vouch for this, some of the, the ropey meals you must have had in League One this season and League Two a few years ago, I'm sure you, can't, you can't begrudge the man a second bowl of curry at Wembley. <laughs> We've got nout in League Two. Absolutely <laughs> nout. I nearly lost weight. It was incredible. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the game itself at Exeter. Let's 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 hark back to that. It was it was a hard watch. It was hard. I would I just remember thinking, is this what it's like on I follow all the time? Because this is dreadful. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you were lucky that it didn't. Um, the the screen didn't go black or uh, <laughs> some random music started playing over it. But um, but no, it was. You know what? I think the first half of Exeter, I, I felt that we. We we sh- I mean we should have been more than a goal up. I, I was really surprised. It's as if Exeter went. Well, thanks Bolton for beating Plymouth. We appreciate that. So we're just going to let you have the ball. And that third the goal, I, I I actually I watched him for. No, the referee's going to pull this back in a minute to go. No, that was too easy. Can you just start again? <laughs> he um, just sauntered through, didn't he? He just like he had he had about five seconds to just make sure he was on side, and no no exit of defender even looked at it, Bradley. But um, yeah, we obviously got the goal, and it was a day scored, which was disallowed, and uh, and he hit the bar. But other than that, it was very easy. And then the second half, that's where they came out and and were the exit that we worried about. You know, they just mm-hmm. beaten Barnsley and had a good run, so we were we were worried about that and. Yeah, we got over the line in the end. So, and this is the thing at this stage of a season, it's it's just about getting the win. It's uh, and I think to be fair to to Bolton fans, who can be very cynical at times, I think a lot of people appreciated. Right, we've had a big a big week, a busy week, and we're now going down to Exeter. Um, it's uh, yeah, it, it just take the three points and go on. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. And a, a special mention to uh, to George Johnson as well, who I thought was. Um, yeah. Absolutely outstanding as he came back into the team. We'll talk about that back three in a bit. I'm very very sure. But the the kind of the the mood changed for Cambridge because once again a really big crowd. It was about twenty four and a half thousand in the end. A uh, lot of expectation on Bolton to go and cruise past Cambridge. Maybe we've said this before as well about maybe a few people that don't normally turn up on games and maybe have a slightly different expectation of how easy it was going to be. Look at Cambridge down at the bottom. Um, so it, it just made, made for a different mood, I thought. Cambridge defended well. They were organised. They sat deep, but I thought they still showed some attacking intent and they, they were fairly dangerous going forward. Um, I, I, there's no way on earth they're getting relegated for me, let's put it that way, uh, if they play like that more often. And... It was it was a tough it was another tough ask but again you, you've got to ask questions about how much Wembley has affected the team whether it's mental whether it's physical whether injuries it's it's just all it's all there in the back of your mind I think yeah it is and yeah I would agree with that with Cambridge I thought they actually the I was quite impressed with them uh, they, I don't think they, they I don't remember much time wasting as well um, they defended really well they 
broke on the counter. Uh, they hit the post, uh, you know, so they could have easily been 1-0 up at half-time. And, yeah, I think on the whole, apart from a 20-minute a period in the second half where we were all over them and should have scored again, I thought Cambridge deserved the point. So, credit to them. And uh, I noticed they've got, I think, Peterborough and, and Wickham and they've got quite a few teams around us to play. So, if they do stay up, then that will be better for Bolton because he would have took points off them. Um but yeah, I think for uh, you know for Bolton, it, it was yeah, it was it was down to us having to break them down. I know Charles hit the post and and Lundelu, you know, picked out the same defender about four times in it, that melee. But um, but yeah, it, that's the thing is that when you are up at the top of the league, and we've had this all season, and to be fair, we have tended to to do it. But you need to break these teams down. They're not going to just come and go. Oh well, yeah, it's a big crowd. It's Bolton's homecoming. We'll just sit back and let them play. You know that inspires some players and it inspires some teams, and it it clearly inspired Cambridge. Um, but I think on the whole, the day it was a nice day. The weather was awful, but it was a nice day, and it, it was nice as well because I sit in the North Lower, and it was nice looking across at the other side and seeing mm. Bolton fans there as well. And you know, as and. With the amount of season tickets we've already sold, who knows? Next year we might have more of that where they've got to open up the um, half of the the south stand. I hope so. I hope so. I like it when there's four sides of Bolton. I mean, the, you touched on the substitutes before. All five made within a a kind of ten minute gap either side of the goal. So the uh, sorry, Declan scored the goal. I think it was sixty seven minutes, um, and that's about about eight minutes after. Uh, Morley, Lee and Charles had come on. And then two minutes after the goal, pretty much as soon as the celebrations died down, you got Unlundalu and Kachunga. And, I mean, the plan had always been to bring those players on. I think Ian Everett went into the game very, very uh, aware of the the physical drain that uh, the, the Good Friday's game and obviously Wembley and the travelling, everything had had on his players. So he wanted to make sure he got as many changes in around that hour mark as possible. Uh, that that was confirmed after the game. No matter what the score had been at that point, that was always going to be the plan. Now, obviously, with a certain degree of hindsight, a lot of people have looked at those changes, and certainly the second couple, and said, well, you know, I would have done this, I would have brought MJ Williams on, I would have... You know, um, you know and, and I dare say... You know, I, I don't. In principle, in theory, what people are saying about bringing on an extra uh, defensive midfielder as opposed to a striker, I dare say it would have had an impact on the game. It might have been a positive one. Nobody can really tell, can we? Um, but I, I'm a, I'm a little bit iffy on the whole kind of hindsight substitution thing. I, you know, the, the if if you'd have just listened to you know me and my three thousand mates in the north stand, then we would have won the game. At, it does, football doesn't work like that. It's not that simple. No, it's not. And, um, you know, I, I I don't see... I, I don't think many Bolton fans, or not any that I heard anyway, were, were saying when you were bringing them on, oh, you should bring MJ Williams on. In fact, the majority of fans actually would rather MJ Williams stay on the bench for some reason. I, I don't mind him. But, um, yeah, I think... Uh, you know, I, I like yeah. Hindsight is great, and if if we would have dealt with that cross, you know, I think even the the free kick was came from 
us not clearing our lines properly. So if we'd have yeah. done that, we'd have won one nil. And yeah, like you said, no one's talking about it. So it's just one of those things. But I think for me, it is disappointing when there's a big crowd in and it's a, a bank holiday, you know, and I know a lot of people were saying, um, oh, it was really an opportunity for uh, Bolton to, to smash Cambridge and then these extra fans will stick around. It's not always the case. So, you know, as great as it would have been, it's it's just one of those things where, and I think if you, like I said, if you put it in context for the season, a 1-1 draw against Cambridge, if we finish in the playoffs, which I believe we will, no one's looking and going, oh, we should have beaten Cambridge. It's just one of those, you get these results. Mm. You know, Plymouth lost, Plymouth near the top and they lost to Lincoln at home. Sheffield Wednesday lost at Forest Green. Ipswich have had bad results this season. So, it's just one of those, it's just a, a drop in the ocean of a season, really. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little bit more maybe about uh, the the way that the free kick was conceded in our little chat about the uh, the back three in a bit. Um, until that time, um, for the first time in absolutely ages, in fact, the, the club actually, after that Cambridge game, didn't put up a player, which normally means that I've got some like gaps in the paper and it's going to be... You know, I've got to go searching around, trying to find stuff, etc. Uh, I think I just think the players had all buggered off by the time it's been uh, speaking to the managers. But strangely enough, we have found things to occupy the newspaper. We found plenty of stories. In fact, it's been a really, really busy week. So, Henry, some headlines, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, well, the first one um, is a big one this week. Uh, well, there's two big ones, actually, but we'll start with the Kyle Dempsey one. Um, he's obviously, we we haven't really been able to talk in detail about this on the podcast because it has been in court and the legal aspects with that. Uh, however, now we can. The judge has made his ruling. It's a 12-month suspended sentence, I believe. Um, what can you tell us about this? Well, what can I tell you? He's got the 12-month sentence hanging over his head for the next 18 months. He's got 200 hours of community service. Um, quite a hefty fine to be paid back to the uh, the victim and to the, the club as well. Um, the the Labour club where, where it happened. Um, and obviously a, a fair bit of uh, reparation to be done in the eyes of the football club and, and the fans really um i was i was quite pleased actually that when Bolton Wanderers put out the statement on thursday afternoon that it was it was behind him for starters it was it was unequivocal they were dealing with everything in house we we spoke to Ian Everts at the press conference and he said that there was uh some very deep conversations had and kind of reading the room, it felt like there, there had been some um, kind of internal punishments and warnings uh, dished out. And, you know, obviously behavioural rules within the club are, are very important. So they have a reputation they've got to uphold. And, and obviously since Football Ventures came in, that has been the whole kind of ethos of the club, the, the kind of the family feel to it. And this is very much incongruous to all that. So I think... I'm I'm kind of glad that they've they've kind of put a line under it. He'll be able to play. The 
court ruling uh, said there was going to be a, a curfew between 9pm and 7am. So you can't go out at night. Um, and obviously a lot of people then said, well, how is he going to play football uh, when he's away from home or whether he's going to be uh, playing in night games like the Burton game. Um, but apparently the judges agreed that he can continue his profession so he can be outside those hours um, as and when he needs to to play football. The other thing, importantly, is that he's not actually going to be wearing a tag, like an ankle tag, as as you and I might well recognise. Um, I think it's a case of checking in online at certain times of the day and being where you know he, he says he's going to be. Um, all of this, all of this is, I hope, I hope uh, the last issue that he has. I hope that he learns from it all. I hope that he's. Uh, he's obviously repentant. I think that the club have, have, have said that as well. And he, he certainly sounded, when we've spoken to him over the past few months and he's been put up for press and he's been playing so well um, whilst all this, this case has been going on. And I'm sure he's had a lot to think about and a lot to regret. And that's been the kind of the mood you've picked up from Carl Dempsey has been that, look, this has happened. I think he wants to turn over a new leaf. He wants to start afresh. And I think, you know, he's obviously a very important player for Bolton Wanderers. I think he's a very important character for Bolton Wanderers as well. I think he's he's got it within him to be a leader in that group. So I do hope that this doesn't affect him negatively. I do hope that he allows this to be a, a learning lesson. And I think that's something that, that Ian Everett said when... Uh, when we spoke to him as well, uh, that he, he helps he grows and learns from it, that it's a, an experience, um, a negative one, yes, and, and obviously the club are not condoning it in any way, shape or form, but um, he's, got to, he's got to use this as a, a motivation going forward now to, to make sure he improves his, his life for his family and, and for, for himself as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really in our wheelhouse, is it, with, with football? Um when you start talking about footballers as role models and all the other moralities, I mean, you kind of live in a bubble somewhat in this game. And, and, and when real things happen, it becomes that, that little bit more difficult to, uh, to discuss. But, you know, having got to know him a little bit over the past 12 months or so, um, I do feel that he's got kind of um, a, a kind of a mood within himself to, to go and do better and to, to, to push on. Obviously, from a football point of view, it hasn't all worked out since he started at Bolton and he's had injuries and, and what have you. But I think at the minute, um, he seems to be um, you know, of, of, a, of a mindset to turn over a new leaf and, and hopefully that continues now that the case has been closed. So I'll ask you this because I, I fully intend to go to the press conference and to uh, be able to analyse this at a, a slightly greater depth myself anyway but I'll ask you this about Kyle Dempsey as a as a player for Bolton Wanderers now how will this affect him regardless of how much football he gets to play do you, do you think it will have an impact well I don't actually and the reason I think that is because since um, the incident became public and since it was said that he was going to be in court he's probably played his best football that we've seen for Bolton, mm. so he, he's possibly uh, someone who is who is actually thrives on that uh, on that thrives on 
thinking, well, this is my this is my place away from all that. I can mm-hmm. I can concentrate on my football, which is a credit to him, uh, really, because um, you know he could have uh, he could have let it affect him. So uh, yeah, so I think uh, um, I mean we'll wait and see, but I think so far he's done quite well. The other thing I'll ask you from a from a club point of view is. Obviously, the incident doesn't play into the the whole ethos of a, a family club. Um, obviously, what he did can't be condoned. Obviously, there will have to be some uh, action taken from from the club. Um, to what degree do you think the club can look at this and move on from it, or do you think they have to be seen to do something? You know, do you know what I mean? Do yeah. they have to take it on a moral stance or do you take it on the judicial stance that, you know, the, the judge and the judge and the courts have given the uh, the the punishment and that we can we can detach ourselves from it as a football club? Yeah, I think the latter, uh, and I'm saying latter because I can't say judicial. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's the latter. I think, you know, yeah, the club, are, um the club are working in a certain way and they, they've been praised for that and credit to them. But I think with this one, I think sometimes you can be seen to be doing too much. You know, if they find Kyle Dempsey, then yeah, okay. He, he has brought the club's name, you know, uh, he, into disrepute. But like, you know, on the, the judges made the call, not, you know, it's not down to Bolton Wanderers to do that. So I think, yeah, they'll possibly... Uh, they'll possibly fine him. They might just they might just release a statement and say, you know, we'll deal with it in house. But they might fine him, and if they do, then so be it. He's, he's got a as a professional footballer, you've got to work to certain. You know, you've you've got to live and work in a certain way, and and obviously that isn't it. Let's move on. Yes, well, the accounts have been released this week. And, um, I mean, I'm no accountant. I don't really know much about it. But you, who has spoken to people who know about it, are very positive. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm no accountant, but I do feel like one after a few years <laughs> working at Bolton Wanderers, in all fairness. Um, yeah, interesting accounts. I, I spoke to a few people who definitely know what they're talking about on this front when they dropped. Um and the response pretty uh, universally was that they were quite encouraging. I think, the, as with any football club um, of a size of Baltimore Wanderers, and, and they're going to lose some money. It's, it's a costly business running a football club, particularly if you are pushing towards getting out of the division you're in. Um, you know, somebody like Andy Holt may turn the nose up at that, Accrington Stanley, and, and he can operate in a certain way and and managed to get uh, stability. But there's also a, a cost, of course, in terms of ambition. Bolton overall lost, I think it was about three and a half million, wasn't it, as far as the, the business as a whole. And that's the other thing, I think, when you, you look at the whole thing, as opposed to just the football club. I think the football club lost 5.77 million. But the business, which includes the hotel and all the ancillary bits and bobs, the conferencing and the concerts and all the things that the the, the thing that football ventures bought into, rather than just being the football club, um, the losses were less, and and that's where the major improvements have come over the last twelve over the twelve months that the the accounts um, take into consideration. 
We also have to remember that these accounts are from June 2021 to June 2022. We know what's happened in, in the previous year, in the, and it's all been good. There'll be plenty of stuff I think you could be quite positive about in financially. The Papa John's Trophy, shirt sales have been great, season ticket sales have been great the last 12 months. Um, they had that big game against Aston Villa in the Cup. They sold Dakwa for Lyon, which will obviously make a financial difference as well. So there should, theoretically, in 12 months' time, be a little bit more progress to, to notice in the accounts. But the thing which has struck uh, my, me and, and, and others that have, have analysed these things is that behind the frontline numbers about wages and, and turnover, there's all the, the historical debts and all the the bits and bobs that have been hanging around since the takeover that I think rightly in the past couple of years, we've looked at them and said, well, yeah, this is all great. Everybody's, everything seems to be being quite sensible, but what about these? What about this? And 12 and a half million pounds of those loans, those loan notes have been turned into equity, i.e., you know, the, the money... It has, has just has been turned into shares into the club. It's been absorbed. They've gone away. Um, the big money owed to Eddie Davis has been dealt with. Eddie Davis's trust has been dealt with. Uh, the big money owed to Brett Warburton has now been dealt with. So one by one, these historical legacy payments that were all attached to the takeover when it happened and made it such a convoluted and messy thing to get done are being dealt with. All the while... The club is improving commercially. You can see the numbers are, are going up sky high on you know, things like streaming and you know, car parking and shirt sales and, and uh, the, the drinks and uh, obviously post-COVID accommodations better because obviously they couldn't do anything about that. The um, hospitality and corporate numbers are really, really good. So, you know, slowly but surely, and I expect this upward trend to continue next season as well slowly but surely it's painting a better picture and uh, I think that's good I think they should be should be congratulated on that football ventures there are still there are still things you can point at in those accounts and say right okay well all that's great but what about this but what about this there are still secured loan there's still loans uh, that, that kind of need to be dealt with I think um, I think it's two and a half million that that falls due in the next 12 months. So again, they're going to have to deal with that. And I expect them to do it exactly the same way as they've been doing it so far. Um, there is, you know, a question mark, let's say, over um, the Swiss consortium as they were billed, um, which uh, which is, is is the one that Nick Lukock is uh, involved in. Um, you know, they have taken on more shares. They've put in more money. To what degree are they driving things? You know, we, we all look at Sharon Britton as being the main shareholder and the, the one that's driving this ship. But that, you know, slowly behind the scenes, that's kind of changing. And this this uh, Swiss um, consortium uh, is, is having a bigger say. Uh, they increased the shares, I think, another about 2.7 million or so this this during this account. So... You know, they people put their money in. They want to say in the business that they're going to be putting their money into. So, I think there are questions about you know how how the future might get shaped in the you know and, and whether if Bolton were to get into the championship, to what degree 
they will put more money in or, or not, as the case may be. Um, so you balance things out a little bit like that. But I think in general, everybody I've spoken to, everybody who, who makes a living doing this sort of thing tells me it's uh, it's looking it's looking pretty good. And, and um, you know, I was able for the first time in absolutely ages, in fact, probably for the first time, to write one of those stories where you go down the individual bits and bobs on a on a accounts um, a financial accounts list and feel pretty comfortable with it and and feel fairly comfortable about the way the future is shaping up because even going back to Eddie Davis's day there were always those big questions about what if this happened what if this happened what you know where's the money and all that sort of stuff there's always been these big questions in the background but steadily those those problems have been dealt with yeah, it's. Um, I think naturally you you expect the the worst with Bolton still, and we're years from that. Yeah. And I know that um, you know the vast majority of the Bolton fans. We all love Sharon Davis. Uh, Sharon Davis. Sharon Britton. We Sharon love Davis. Sharon, we, we really love Sharon Davis as well. Massive fan. Uh, massive fan. Her presenting yeah. skills have really improved over the last few years. <laughs> Always talk of Eddie Davis. Um, but yeah, Sharon Britton. Um, uh, That's staying yeah. in, by the way, Henry. You know that, don't you? <laughs> That's fine. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, everyone sees what's going on around the stadium and, um, you know, and just the little differences that are being made. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think you made the point in an article that the, the, the licks of paint that going on around the stadium, doing up hospitality, it's, it costs money. So you've got to spend money to make money. So hopefully in the next few years, we will start to see Bolton on, in, uh, you know, who are, who are running as a viable business and and who are um, you are breaking even and and working at a profit. But yeah, I think there's it's this strange world that we're in as Bolton fans, where we've uh, we've actually got nothing to worry about, which could actually be a detriment to the players and the manager because we've got to worry about something. Yeah, but the thing is, the the, the worry. And it's it's not it's not the same worry, but the worry is what happens next because you can see the direction the club's going in, and you can see that if Bolton were to get into the Championship, they're going to need more money. You know, we looked at the wage budget there for the football club, which is around eight million pounds, and that's including the B team, but that is going to be a drop in the ocean up in the Championship. Inevitably, wages go up, and the pressure becomes, you know, financial pressure becomes much greater. It's worth about £6 million going up into the championship when you get promotion, which isn't a great deal. Um, but whether or not you can still kind of expect to be break-even. In fact, I think break-even, and I've said it quite a bit, I think it is quite a, a quite a pipe dream, unless you're going to be selling players for a lot of money. Um, but of course, if you sell players for a lot of money, you going to have to try and replace them as well and it's not easy to do that on the cheap um that is the theory of course with with all the um the stuff we've heard from football ventures that you know they want to break even they want to be a sustainable club but i think in reality there there is always going to be a shortfall until you get into the the, the place where you want to be um or or you get to the stage where you are selling players for for decent fees and, and fees that are going to you know supply your club 
Um, so yeah, there, there's, there's always going to be concerns, but for me, th- these are better concerns. You know, how are you going to deal with championship football is a, an infinitely better concern to me than are we going to be able to repay this secured loan in three months' time? And uh, you know, it makes me feel a lot better dealing with these things, and I'm sure it makes fans sleep a lot better when they read numbers that that seem more encouraging. Yeah, exactly. It's a um... You know, I think the the thing with um, with football fans are that you don't care about finances until it's bad. Yeah. Um, you know, we all love like in the the Premier League days, we all love signing the the great players that played for us on on big wages. But then when it goes belly up, that's when you're like, oh right, this is a concern now. So um, yeah, I think I think once a year we get these accounts, and once a year we dice at them. But on the whole, yeah, it's, it's it's better now than what it was, and you can actually see uh, a you can see a positive, and you can see where we're going with it, and um, and it, it does look good. And and as we've said, you've we've not even taken into account the 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 Wembley trip, the amount of merchandise that has been sold in the last month in the club shop, the Lion deal, the you know TV in the Carabao Cup. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff to add on to it. So you'd think if they're going to be if it was going to be better anyway next year, it's going to be even better now. The 11 quid I paid to iFollow last week to watch the Exeter game. That's, well, there you go. Is that every little helps, you know? Every little helps. Um, talking about Sharon Davis, by the way, I was I was <sighs> waiting for the end of that, but we'll bring that back. I was, uh, I was coming out of Wembley, and I mentioned this on Twitter, but I will tell you the story. I was coming out of Wembley. Um, I, I, it had been a very long day, a very, very long day, but I was heading back to be able to drive back, to be able to get on a plane for 6am the next morning at Manchester Airport. So I was making a beeline for the station and getting out there. And um, I'm walking behind this group of people and it re- and then I realised, ah, Sharon's right at the front of there. So I kind of like bustled to the front, like, Sharon, 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 congratulations, gave a big hug, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we had a, we had a little chat and uh, she, was, she was just so happy, obviously, um, with, with what had gone on. Talked about Get's goal and all that sort of stuff. And... Um, as as we're as we're saying goodbye, she says, "Oh, I'll, I'll speak to you soon. I'll speak to you soon. We'll catch up. We'll catch up. We'll catch up. See you. See you." And I and I said, "Bless you. Bless you. Love you." <laughs> as as I'm going, on. and then and that that you know all those things where you say it and then you instantly transport outside your own body and just go, <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> yeah, and you've not been able to have a full night's sleep. No, not for the a rest single of the time. one. That has, that has <laughs> absolutely haunted me haunted me since that moment on absolutely i could explode with shame uh, i meant to say bless you ended up saying love you there we go that's the way it is um but uh oh well how embarrassing but such is life it is what it is it's not quite as embarrassing as calling sharon davis but you know it's nearly there <laughs> not to a face um <laughs> never to a face queen sharon to a face Um, Right, let's move on then. And uh, one of the things we haven't spoke about, which happened at Wembley, unfortunately, is the the injury to Owen Toll. A lot has been said on social media about that. You know, I was sat in the gods at Wembley and I could see, I thought that should be a sending off. And uh, Mm -hmm. when you see the replays of it, it should have been. Um, But uh, added to that, we've also got Rico Santos, who is potentially out for a month, which would take us into the playoffs. Do you think Ian ever with the injuries piling up, would take a gamble on bringing him back earlier? Well, it's a gamble 
in any way he slices it now because Mbappe at the moment is a young player who's struggling a little bit, particularly towards the end of games. We saw that against Cambridge, the kind of the rash tackle he made at the back to concede the free kick, just let his marker drift and all of a sudden there's a goal. You know, that's the way it is for young players. You've got to accept that a little bit. You know, I think he's a very good player. I think he can be a, a very, very good player, but he's been expected to really step up at the moment. So to continue with him would be a, a little bit of a gamble. To change the system and to go maybe a back four would be a little bit of a gamble again because Bolton have been successful with the back three all season. And then, of course, you've got the mystery prize C that Ian Everett discussed after the Cambridge game was that it could come to it that he has to patch up Rico or patch up Tolly and, and send them out there towards the end of the season when they're not quite ready and, and run the risk of them getting a worse injury. Uh, sometimes it sometimes it works. Sometimes you can, you know, have an injection, whatever it might be, and, and get yourself out there and, and play at 95%. Sometimes it doesn't. And uh, it, that, I'm sure, will be a decision you won't take lightly. And it will be based on how Bolton do potentially in the next couple of games and whether there's a, a panic on that. So... Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. These, as I say, these two against Oxford and Burton, I think will be the litmus test for it all. If they don't get results there and they're suddenly playing catch-up with Peterborough, Derby, you know, whoever might be, Wickham might be jumping above them, um, then I suspect that he will start thinking about uh, trying to patch Rico up and trying to, to get him out there for those last few games. If not, then he can probably take a step back and look at maybe changing the system or look at maybe nurturing uh, Mbete on some people have mentioned maybe even using MJ Williams as a, an auxiliary defender I'm not too sure that would work myself but um, he no. has played there in the past so what about you I mean where do you stand on it would you would you change your system would you stick with Mbete would you would you push uh, Rico back yeah it's a tough one isn't it because um, I mean, to be fair, I, you know, Rico is a, a very good player and he, he really helps the system we play. But if you look back at and think, um, we've unbeaten in two since he last played. And uh, at the end of last season, I think we ended on a 10-game unbeaten run when he didn't play. So yeah. we actually don't do that bad without Rico Santos. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's the... Um, I'd probably stick with him better, to be honest, but... Yeah, it's a tough one because he just it's not getting the rub of the green at the moment. I mean, he and it's been like that for a month or two now. The very start, and you think back to that Peterborough game, he 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 was playing very well. You thought, well, this is a younger version of Santos, really. Um, you know, and he's he covered uh, Johnston uh, very well, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's. And, and also what I liked was he was getting up and down the wing. Like I think it was the penalty against Peterborough. He, he overlapsed um, Declan John. Yeah. So, yeah, he added a lot to it. But I just think since you think the, the misplaced pass against Ipswich that led to their goal, there was a few misplaced passes the other day and the, the rash challenge. You know, I, he's a young guy, so it, it's he will, that maturity will come. But... You know, you you have got a question at this time of the season. 
do you need someone in there who is going to be mature? You you can't be letting chances like that up. So I'd probably stick with him for now. I, I think he'll turn it around. I think he's a good enough player to do that. But yeah, it's if it carries on, then Ian Everett has got a really big decision to make. Um, and I don't just mean whether he, he say goes to a four four two because I don't think John Geffen Jones could play centre half in a four four two. But does he bring back two players who were who were injured? And like you said, you know, it's arguably what would you rather? Would you rather have uh, Santos play a game at the end of the season, get injured again, and actually he's then out till November and we're missing him, or would you rather miss him now? Okay, we might not win promotion, but at least he's fit for next season. Mm, it's a tough one. This season, by the way, Bolton have played uh, 17 games without Ricardo Santos in all competitions. They've won nine, drawn six and lost twice, which isn't well, terrible. Derby and Shrewsbury are the only two teams to have beaten Bolton uh, when Santos hasn't played. So, as you say, decent, decent enough record. Um, I just think they could do themselves a huge amount of good on Saturday against Oxford. If they can go down there, keep faith with Mbete would be my my choice as well, to be honest. And for him to have a good game, to have to have a good confidence-building game, I think that'd be worth its weight in gold. Um, let's have another headline. Well, uh, this is about our promotion rivals, our playoff rivals, Peter Ridd, have been handed a suspended points deduction from the EFL. It's that word suspended. Yeah. I know a lot of people were getting excited about this and then it, other people were pointing out it's suspended. And um, I think it's, it's to do with uh, hiring a CEO who, who didn't have, weren't approved on the EFL. So I, I doubt they're going to do that again before the end of the year. <laughs> uh, so I don't think this points deduction is going to come in at any point. But um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's certainly... An interesting one, isn't it? When you know you look at what's happening behind the scenes at Bolton, and it, mm. and you think, oh, could that affect Bolton? Well, it actually there's a quite a few teams where little things are happening behind the scenes. Yeah, I think the EFL have have started to flex their muscles a little bit more, haven't they? With all these rule breaches over the last couple of years, particularly during this time of the season as well. It's strange how it happens, but. Um, yeah, this was all to do with the uh, chief executive officer David Patton. Um, being uh, appointed without written authority of the EFL, go figure. And uh, they were charged a few months ago, a good few months ago, at the end of last year, and now the EFL have come up with this three-point deduction, which is suspended until December. So, provided they get their next CEO appointment right, they'll be absolutely fine. Um, I, I can't imagine that being a particularly difficult thing to to run by the EFL. Um, I mean, you know, you know, Darren McCantony, he, he seems to. Have, have been through a bit of a roller coaster uh, this season at, at Peterborough, but now they're, they're they're in fifth. The decision to change the manager back to Darren Ferguson seems to be working out. Uh, I just get the feeling we might end up playing against Peterborough in the playoffs at some stage. Yeah, I think when you look at the teams in and around the playoffs, there's a lot of stories around yeah. there. You know, you look at Peterborough; we beat them five 0 Barnsley are looking for revenge, yeah. um, and on the first. Plymouth as well, yeah, you know, Ipswich, we all got history with Ipswich, so there's quite a few teams um, where it could be a big story. I mean, for me personally, considering that I produce Dara's podcast and my in-laws are from Barnsley, I've got, <laughs> I, I'm not going to be trying to play off at all, yeah. um, but um, 
but yeah, you know, for them, they it turns out it was the right decision, and he's he's got them playing good football and and they're winning games, and you know they're the team at the moment out of the the four or five that are vying for the two bottom spots in the playoffs. You look at Peterborough and think, well, they're the team in form. Bolton have probably got the better running. Derby just seems to have fallen off a cliff, and uh, you know, I I think if I was a Derby fan, I'd be really worried because they've got to go to Sheffield Wednesday on the last mm. game of the season as well. Yeah, they've got a couple of uh, of difficult ones in, in the running. The thing with Derby as well, which I feel is I, I, kind of reading some of the press out there and the way Paul Ward's talking, he's, he's already talking about rebuilding the team next season. So for mm. me, I do wonder whether or not the club itself is saying, well, you know, if we get there, we get there fine, but we're not there's no great pressure on us to do so. And and that can sometimes bleed into the squad and it can make it a little bit more relaxed, maybe. Um, I think I'd be a bit more worried about some of the ones on the on the vicinity. Um, I think Bolton will get there. I, I, I've said that before. I think they will get there. The running, I think they'll have enough to be able to get enough points to uh, to see themselves over the line. It's just who, which one of those big stories, which one of the in-laws you can... Uh, <laughs> We can yeah. off. Or whether or not we get that Barry Knight reunion, that'd be the that'd be the big one. Certainly for the Buff podcast. It will, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's uh it there's a lot yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be eventful. And you know, if you look at I mean League Two playoffs looks looks interesting, but you know, you look at the teams in the championship ones and I think League where in the League One playoffs there's gonna be three or four or two or three at least big teams in there. That mm. I think that that's the one to watch really, but yeah, hopefully Bolton can come through and uh, and get promoted in the end, but we'll wait and see. Um, right, the last headline is uh, that the EFL Awards, the nominations have been announced this week and there's no Bolton players at all or the manager. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, Mark, but whenever I see these nominations, I just think they've just chose... The, I mean, in League One, manager of the year is just the top three. I think mm. they just choose... I, I think it's a very easy... You know, the they've gone. I think the player they've gone for the top goal scorer, Barry Bannon, who seems to get a mention whenever uh, Sky is showing Sheffield Wednesday, <laughs> and uh, I think a Plymouth player, maybe can't remember or yeah. Ipswich player. So uh, yeah, I mean, should Bolton have had uh, a nomination or two? Or are you happy for us just to go under the radar? I suppose I'm happy to go under the radar a little bit. I think I think Ian Everett can be a bit disappointed having won the. Papa John's Trophy and, and and having not spent a great deal in comparison to some of these bigger clubs, you know, Darren Moore, although I, I think he's a good manager and he's a nice guy, has got a great big budget behind him. You know, I don't think he's doing anything other than doing exactly what was expected of them this season. Same goes really for McKenna at Ipswich, really, considering the money they've spent. Um, Schumacher is is absolutely nailed on to win it for me. I think he's done a terrific job, even though they obviously melted in the in the Papa John's. You can't question the fact that Plymouth shouldn't be up there, and, and yet they've done really, really well. So, um, yeah, I would like to have seen uh, Ian Everett get on that shortlist, personally. From a playing point of view, we know, having seen uh, Bolton week in, week out, who we'd probably pick, I'd say Connor Bradley would be, a shoo-in for any of the younger category. I know he's a Liverpool player, but I mean, name me a better youngster in this division. I, I simply haven't seen mm-hmm. one. Um, and possibly from the senior side, you'd look at you look at Dion Charles maybe or, or um, Rico for when he has played. I think uh, 
there's an argument for that, but for me, Everett would be the one that I'd be a little bit disappointed that, that he hasn't even had a mention on it. They do do a team of the season on the night, so Bolton might still get somebody squeezing in there. Um, I'd say that Connor would be the most likely, but Dion Charles got voted in the, the top 50 players outside the Premier League by 442 magazine this week, so maybe he gets a go. Maybe. Um, yeah, I think for me, uh, you know, yeah, Trafford, Bradley, uh, I think Dion, but with being a bit older, it's probably, they'd look at um, goals scored rather than actual play, uh, in which case Dion's currently not in the top three, I don't think so. But I think it's weird. I, I know they've got to get stuff ready, but, you know, I think it's, it's weird that um, they make these decisions now, like, you know, you could Stephen Schumacher, for example, is in the nominations. If Plymouth lose the remaining games and finish fifth, then he's bottled promotion and a Papa John's. So, would you put him as the one of the nominations? You probably wouldn't. It's like you said there with McKenna. I mean, if Ipswich go up, yeah, obviously credit to him, and they've tried for a few years now. But again, they're spending a lot of money, so. Would you then look at a team like Shrewsbury and what Cottrell's done and think, well, he's Very over, he's, he's done more than what they expected? Or, um, yeah, so anyway, even, well, like, even um, you know, any, any of the, the teams down at the bottom that come up and, and do well, I mean, you know, teams like I don't know, Cheltenham have, 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 mm. have exceeded their expectations and they, they well, they tend to, don't they, basically, just by staying in this division, but you know, uh, Exeter even. Yeah, uh, I think they're twelfth. Yeah. They've got no right to be twelfth, um, but you know, it, it, it does seem like you say just to be. Here's the top three. Let's just get a team out of those, and and we can point to the league position as being the uh, the reason why. But um, right, okay. Uh, I think it's time to open up the mailbag or the email account. Cue the postman. Is that Philip Marish? Uh, before we start the Phil Marais post bag, I actually got a really weird email asking if I'd like to have 2024 US presidential candidate Steve Laffey on the show this week. Um, and I'll, I'll read verbatim. Uh, Steve is a Christian, a patriot. He's the father of six children, two of which are cancer survivors and all six were homeschooled. He's the former mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, where he's responsible for the biggest civic financial turnaround in history. Steve has some very strong beliefs on education, freedom, the budget deficit, and would be delighted to speak on any topic. So, I emailed him back and asked his PR guy whether or not Steve would be happy to come onto the buff and debate the relative strengths and weaknesses of Declan John and Randell Williams as a left-back. Um, he hasn't been back to me yet, but I will I'll keep my eye on the email account and I'll bring you... Um, up to date with anything he says. He, to be fair, he sounds like more of a right wing guy than than anything else. Yeah. If, if I'm being brutally honest, but uh, good one. Yes, yes. Uh, if 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 next week, Henry, I give you a text and just say, listen, we don't need you this week. We've got uh, we've got my boy Steve Laffey on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Hey, I wouldn't take it personally. I'd I'd happily step aside for Laffey. <laughs> I can't wait to see uh, what he's got to say about Mario Espatero. Um, right, okay, this is an email from somebody that's been listening to The Buff. It's from Peter, 
and it's about our old friend, the bus services at the Unibol. Hello, Mark and Henry. A few podcasts ago, we discussed the matchday bus situation following the announcement that the club are considering the future of the service. The topic seems to have gone quiet recently, as if public transport is somehow less interesting than a Wembley Cup final. Um, I wonder if it's the time to raise it again before it's too late. The current traffic situation for home fans is pretty dreadful. Delays on the way to the ground, slow queues on to leave on the end of the match. Attendances are certainly very strong at the moment, but it must be a long-term concern that fans will get fed up of sitting in traffic for hours to get to a home game, especially if performances go downhill. Uh, getting rid of the bus service would put even more people into cars, prevent older supporters going to games, and it would send out a terrible message about sustainability and climate change. Do you think there's a viable business case for actively promoting the bus service rather than keeping the current system limping on? Could the club relaunch the service, find a sponsor to subsidise the price, put on extra services, give buses proper priority to gain access and leave ahead of cars, leave the stadium ahead of cars? Um, With support from the Bolton News and a decent marketing campaign, (laughs) brackets, free pasty for every passenger. Not sure about that one. Um, Imagine the mess. Uh, Do you think people would go for it? Um, So I think it's something we did touch on in that debate we had about the buses uh, a couple of podcasts ago. But do enough people know about them? Is is that the thing? Because they used to have, and I don't want to bang my own drum too much, but they used to do adverts in the Bolton News with all the bus times uh, so you knew exactly where things were going from and when they'd leave and how much it was going to be. They had a big advert in our pullout at the time. They used to do a weekly article on the website as well with all the all the travel stuff, etc., etc. I don't even know where I'd begin to look for that sort of stuff nowadays. Yeah, exactly. I think um, I've said before, just like there's one near me in uh, Pendlebury and mm-hmm. it... it it says it's it's basically outside a pub, and there's I mean there's a bus stop near the pub, but it's not outside the pub. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is the thing is that because it's um, just one, I think um, if you miss it, you you've got to find alternate, you know, alternate routes. But um, yeah, I think for me, it, you know, I, I can't talk for Neil Hart or the the people who are involved in this, but I think they would rather not do it personally and i think that's why there's not been a push on it um if they look and and i think he said at the time that there's not many people taking up the option yeah i think they would probably rather spend that money elsewhere but this is the problem now with with a lot of businesses is that you know they don't cater to those people who i mean there'll be people who have been using the bus service for years and actually can't get to the match without it but you know if that's one person out of 18,000, then then they're not going to be too concerned, are they? So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I personally, um, yeah, I personally don't see it running, unfortunately, for much longer. I would, if if there were more communication about it, I would probably use it. I think there's, I've got the train from... um, from Salford Uni before Salford mm. Crescent uh, to to the match, and I think on a nice day, it's nice. It's nice having that freedom to to get the train and walk to the ground. I probably do the same with the bus service, but it's yeah, it's just not been communicated that well. Ah, interesting. If you've got any thoughts on that, do get in touch. Uh, the next email is a good one because it scratches the itch um, for for Danny Shitu. 
and we're not going to play it this week, but if, if anybody was missing Danny Shitu, this one will scratch the itch. Um, it also opens up uh, a bit of an email chain for the future if somebody wants to get involved. Um, Chris from Bolton writes, I was bored waiting for the game to start on Monday and decided to see if I could name an entire team with correct positions using the Danny Shitu game. I did it and even managed to pick up a Shitu in midfield so I could crowbar my favourite player into the team. I reckon this team could take on anything. Can you, Henry, or one of the listeners beat it? Okay. So, you have to imagine that I'm playing Danny Shitu myself here, which is a bit weird. But, um, we are going to start with Jussi Askelainen, Nicky Hunt, Tim Ream, Mark Beavers, Simon Charlton, Neil Dans, Stelios Giannakopoulos, which is Danny Shitu, so he's changing it to Y, Yuri Djokiev. Frank Worthington, Neil Watmore, Idega Johnson. Wow. It's not bad, that. It's a good effort. Yeah, it's a good team as well. A very good team. I mean, I've, I, the one that stands out for me, Neil Dance. I'm not sure why Neil Dance is in there, but, you know, he was an N going on from Simon Charlton. Um, so, yes, the, the rules are simple. If anybody doesn't know how to play Danny Shitu, you... He started with Yussi Askelainen. The next player's first name must start with an N. If you get to the situation, as he did with Stelios Giannakopoulos, where it starts and ends with the same letter, you can change it to whatever you like. So, there we go. You can, uh, well, let us know. Send us your teams. I want to hear your Danny Shitu teams. If you can manage to get Danny Shitu in there right at the very end, that would be perfect. I reckon that would be the, the most juiced of the whole lot if, if you've ended on Danny Shitu as an auxiliary striker. I'm going to say, yeah, if you stick him at centre-half, you, you, you're not going much further, to be honest. But, well, that's uh, it. That, that's why we call it Danny Shitu, is that you can't yeah. get past Danny Shitu. There's no use. One day we'll sign a U. And well, the and game then, then will then we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then we're done. Then we're going to have to call it the Xavier Amici or something, I don't know. Huh. Uh, right, okay. Uh, we, we were going to listen to... Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's let's do fantasy league really quickly. Let's not. Let's not. Um, I was going to bump it, but you know what? People keep on emailing me and saying, why don't you mention the Fantasy League? And I say, I'm going to do it next week. I'm going to do it next week. And I never do. So I'm going to do it right now. Top five of the Buff Fantasy Football League are No Way J. That's Alfie Hinton's team. 2,061 points. Number two, Ha Ha Harland, Regan Rushton. 2,050 points. Number three, LD, Lee Dearden. 2013 points. Number four, Kinder Mbuemo. That's Liam McNeil's team. 2011 points. Number five, Fat Fighters. That's Phil Bailey's team. 2004 points. In 97th, my team, Quixotic Evertude. 1,826 points. And in 188th, Henry's team. Although, to be fair, at this stage of the game, it's it's hardly a fitting description, the word team. Uh, Cucurella de Ville, 1,687 points. A quick comment, Henry. Well, I think sometimes you need to have a transition season. Yeah. And is this, this your is Chelsea it. season, is it? Yeah. I've, had, I've gone through a few managers. I've had to rehire myself a few times. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's, uh, it's not quite worked out, but... Uh, 
But hey, there's always next season and we'll come back. Yeah, we will be back. We will be back. It's been wildly popular and I've had a lot of emails, so um, we will do it again. Um, but right, in the in the pursuit of actually supplying some insight and knowledge on this week's opposition, Oxford United, I tracked down the Oxford Mail's chief football writer, Liam Rice, and asked him what has gone so horribly wrong at the Kassam Stadium this season. Um, the perennially sort of slow starters anyway in, in League One, even the sort of two campaigns where they got in the playoffs and and last year when they missed out by finishing just outside. So, um, you know, that wasn't too much of a, of a worry at the beginning of the season. It was, well, you know, the U's do this, do this every year. Um, the problem was they never kicked on from that. Um, the... Um, you know the football wasn't as as, as three flowing and entertaining as it was um, under under Carl Robinson in the previous three years, and they sort of struggled in that final third. There was no, you know, no edge, no creativity, and um, you know they, then they sort of went on this little run where they were unbeaten for a while, but it was mainly draws um, before Christmas, and then um, yeah, obviously sort of it's gone through the season. They've, they've never really kicked on, never picked up and, um, you know, they got to the point where where Robinson had to go, um, a, a sort of 3-0 defeat at home to Bristol Rovers in an early kickoff was was the end of his reign and, um, and yeah, and now they've sort of, they look um, a better team under Manning now so far, but it's still the final third is, is, really, is really what's letting them down at the moment. I mean, looking at the table, Balancing in 20th, uh, two points clear of, of Accrington. I mean, of the teams down there, you really wouldn't have picked Oxford. Has it just been a lack of goals this season? Um, Pretty much. I mean, th- th- there have been injuries as well at the beginning of the year. Um, a lot of hope would have been pinned on Josh Murphy and, and Yannick Wiltshire as this sort of um, marquee signings, if you were. Um, you know, coming in with plenty of experience at the championship level, um, you know, good, exciting players on, on their day. But um, I think Murphy's sort of struggled for fitness and um, and Yannick, 15 minutes into his debut at Wimbledon in a pre-season friendly, tore his hamstring off. So he then missed sort of almost five months, um, didn't sort of come into the team until December. And the two of them haven't really got going. They've, they've shown very brief glimpses Um and obviously, wingers is, is is where you know Carl Robinson was. Um, United sides were always at their best. It was brilliant wing play, great attacking talent, and um, and really none of them have um, got going. Like I say, yeah, injuries as well to the likes of, sort of Cal Joseph, Sam Baldock as well, um, James Henry, an influential player over the recent years, has missed sort of portions. Billy Bowden has missed portions of the season. So, um, so they're unlucky on that front, especially with injuries to attacking players. But um, yeah, it, it's they're, they're the two big ones: injuries and, and lack of cutting edge in the final third. We don't need to tell us about Yannick Wilchuk. To be honest, I think he was one of our great white hopes when he uh, came uh, to Bolton on on loan in the in the Championship, and after quite a good start, it all really fell apart from him. And, and as you say, fitness was was one of the main reasons for that, I think. And uh, James Henry, another one Bolton fans will remember uh, fondly for a, for a goal on, I think it was it, uh, New Year's Eve. I think he scored against Scunthorpe, a really important one in the promotion season. But um, just just injuries of, of taking the edge off it, really, then. 
Yeah, it, it has been really. Um, I'm missing out a few more. Well. Marcus Brown's been one who's sort of had um, troubles with injuries. Um, so you know, the, these are these are key sort of big players. Really, they're the ones you look to for for moments of magic, for inspiration, and um, you know, really, have they ever had everyone available? Probably not. Passes me crystal ball. What's happening next week? Prediction time. Right, time for some predictions. Henry, Oxford United on Saturday. There's Burton Albion to come on Tuesday night as well, so we have to factor in that one. Two tough trips. Um, Oxford United, main thing to say about Oxford United on the car park, there is a metallic statue of an ox. Have you ever seen it? I have, yeah. I went on a stag do to... Um... Oxford uh, last summer and I, I stopped off at the castle and they were having a it was on a Sunday morning I thought oh, I'm never really going to go down here much and uh, they had a car boot sale in the car park and I did I, I did see the, the ox Did you uh, rub a certain part of its uh, anatomy? Can't say I did uh, there were a lot of uh, children about with it being a car boot sale <laughs> so I didn't want to but I saw uh, I saw the uh, the paint had been worn away a little bit. They, it has it. They're, they're as shiny as hell. It's like if anybody's ever seen the the, the horror film Phantasm, it's crazy. They're, they're like these shiny orbs that uh, that catch the sun as you go past them. But uh, yeah, I'll give them a rub before the game. I'll make sure I, I seek that one out because I've been to the Kassam Stadium for a Bolton game twice. Um, in my time covering the club, and the first one was the. I think it was televised. Uh, it was a, a Phil Parkinson uh, team. I think they won 4-2. They did, yeah. Um, like Alfie scored and, and Philip Moration. It was, a, it was a great game. Josh Vella scored as well. Um, and then they won again, didn't they, with Marlon Fossey's goal. Uh, Dion Charles scored as well, but Marlon Fossey's yeah. great goal. Uh, so I've got to make sure. Yeah, I'm not especially... Uh, not especially superstitious, but if I don't rub those balls, well nothing was going to happen. So <laughs> I'd hate to be accused after the game of, of not rubbing balls. So it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't make for a great press conference. No, I, uh, I think you will need to have video proof if you're doing it. So if we do uh, lose, then at least you can show people that you did do it. That sounds like a TikTok, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they'll love me on social once again. Did you see the TikTok... <laughs> Oh, before the final of um, before the Papa John's final of me interviewing a Bolt Mondras fan in the car park of the Torch pub, I did. Yes, yeah. I saw a few. I liked your uh, I liked your tour of outside of Wembley as well the day before. Yeah, well, well I mean, there's there's a podcast to be uh, to be created just on the creation of that. Believe me, um, but the. The one that's now got, I think it's something like 35,000 hits or something stupid like that. Um, I don't really understand why it's got so popular. I really don't. It's, I think it's. it was like captioned as if it was like some interview that went wrong, but I thought it was really funny. It was like exactly what I was expecting to happen with every single interview. Um, mm. And I knew it'd be raw because obviously he got outside a pub. And I just, <laughs> just remember speaking to the guy and then he just sort of burst into song. So I just like, I was like, quite happy about it next thing and next thing i know i'm getting texts from my mates like ah look at you look at you getting murked outside i'm like what 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 have i done 
I, I, I didn't quite get, I just don't get TikTok. I don't get uh, what works on TikTok, what doesn't work. I interviewed um, an inflatable doll at one stage, and I thought, well, this will do well on social media, and that got nowhere near it. Yeah, I, I, as someone who works on uh, TikTok with the other podcasts that I produce and work on, it's, uh, yeah, you, you're chucking a load of stuff at a wall and seeing that sticks you know some stuff does really well and some stuff you're like brilliant this will be great this will get the numbers gets like 500 views yeah. and you're like what mad. yeah it's absolutely mad absolutely mad but uh yeah very very strange but i'm now officially um viral it would seem with that uh with that interview i don't know <laughs> why i don't know why maybe maybe me um rubbing uh an ox <laughs> in the genitals will uh will find me social media fame at last who knows who knows hey, any uh any fame is good fame even if it's bad fame <laughs> yeah, you can see me facing them um right okay <laughs> let's let's talk about football because bolton are honestly going to go to oxford and they're honestly going to play football there um uh, i mean you'd, you'd expect oxford who've drawn the last four games they are playing better under Liam Manning, although they're not spectacular. So says uh, their reporter down there. They've not really um, caught fire. They've not been scoring goals. So it might be the kind of game where they are a little bit more open. They're not going to. They're not going to park the bus on their home ground. It might suit Bolton to be able to play a little bit more expansively and and really have a you know a bit more of an attack than they managed against Cambridge. Well, Matt. Been watching Bolton enough to know that when Bolton play a team who hasn't won in like fifteen games, the the win is about to come soon. So um, as much as I would love to uh, to go there and and wipe the floor with them and all be positive, uh, most of me is thinking they'll win. But um, I think it's it's going to be a tough game anyway because yeah, Oxford have, have fallen off this season spectacularly. They uh, you know they. Yeah, they they. I don't know what's happened there. Obviously, we we heard there, um, you know, from someone who knows a lot more about Oxford than we do, uh, has answered some of the questions. But like, yeah, on the outside, they've just had a poor season. Yeah. Um, but you do fancy that they will stay up. I know you you can never be too good to go down, but you do fancy that they will find something at some point. And my worry is that that will start on Saturday. But I think you know, I, I are we at the stage yet where on against Cambridge, Bolton got a draw, but so did Derby and Portsmouth also didn't win. Um, so in effect, it's not as a bad a result as what it could have been. Are we at that stage yet? Because I think all the teams are playing away again. Yeah. So if Bolton went and got a draw, but then Derby lost and Wickham lost and Portsmouth lost and Peterborough lost, would that be seen as a decent result? Or are we still looking and going, no, we need to be winning games? I think we are at that stage where what's happening elsewhere matters just as much as what's happening there. Um, there will be weird results. Plymouth at Exeter, that's going to be a big one. Um, Peterborough at Cambridge, again, that's a local derby, so Cambridge won't be rolling over. And we know that, you know, after after the way they played. Burton are at home to Sheffield Wednesday. That's, that's an interesting one. Um, Barnsley go to Forest Green and I think Forest Green can actually get relegated if they lose that game so they've got something mm. to play for there uh, Morecambe are at home to Wickham we know what Morecambe could be like um, and then Shrewsbury have got Portsmouth um, Ipswich are the only 
to oh, uh, Derby go to Bristol Rovers. Joey Barton isn't going to roll over for anybody. Full stop. Um, Ipswich at home to Charlton. Um, so you're right. Yes, uh, I think a point away from home is never a bad thing. Whether or not you can say that over two games where you can go to Burton on the Tuesday and get a point as well, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because you know I'd rather I'd rather win one <laughs> if, if I'm honest. Um, but it will it will completely depend on what's going on elsewhere. You know, we keep on saying that could be the point. That could be the point when you when you draw a game. That Cambridge point could be one that that proves invaluable in the future. Who knows? Um, I think Bolton have just got to try and filter out everything else and just go there and try and play with a bit more uh, freedom, a bit more uh, relaxation than they they managed um, against Cambridge. They just seemed to tighten up a bit for me. And it felt a bit like that with Exeter, although I felt it was more a case of like fatigue, like just the, the post-Wembley glow just, just affecting them. I think on, on Monday, they just felt a little bit tight and Bolton don't do well when they're a bit uptight and not as confident. They need to just get that mojo back. And if they can do that, Oxford, personally, I think that's the type of team... Um, that, that Ian Everett would quite favour playing because Oxford, they're not quite the free-flowing team they were against uh, under Carl Robinson, but they can be got at for definite. And, um, you know, Bolton are, are quite dangerous when it when it comes down to it. I, fingers crossed. I mean, Burton's the one that worries me more, I've got to be honest, because Burton's a horrible place. It's a horrible place, full stop. Um, <laughs> sorry, anybody from Burton. Um, I've got some good mates in Burton, um, but it's just a, it's a dreadful place to get to, considering it's in the middle of everywhere. And other than St George's Park, I have no reason to go back to Burton again after this season. Yeah, I, I think with Burton after I went last year and it was disappointing last year because we were kind of I think it was around the Oxford game where we were doing quite well and yeah. we went there and and were three 0 down after ten minutes. But um, I think. The, you know, I, I think this season so far we've gone to places like Accrington and Fleetwood and won at grounds where we'd struggled last year. And I think Burton is probably the last on the list to do that, uh, to for redemption, if you will. So I think we can go there and win. But and, and as well, I'm glad we're playing them in April and not February because that pitch was awful. Um, but yeah, these are the, you know, we went to Exeter and won. We can go to the... I don't think Bolton should be fearful of these places anymore. We've proved that we can go and win at these grounds. And I think, um, you know, these two matches... Well, I mean, there's... By this time next week, we would have played a third of the remaining games we have to play now. Uh, so I think it's a massive week. And if Bolton can end... end Well, by the next time we record, if Bolton is still in the playoff places, then suddenly we've got three games at home out of four and you're looking then and thinking we should be fine so I think get through these two um, avoid having a nightmare which I think this Bolton team are a strong team mentally stronger than what we have been so I think we will I think we'll win at least one and I fancy us to maybe draw the other one but um, yeah if we can still be within the playoffs come next week I, I think we'll be alright I think we'll be fine I'm with you drawing a win and I think that'll be all right. I think if we're if if Bolton are in the top six by this time next week, I will feel a lot lot better, a lot lot better. 
So, right, okay, it's uh, it's been a long, drawn-out buff, and I think the likelihood is that with the, with the club likely to say something on Kyle Dempsey, I'll be nipping back in to put an edit in somewhere <laughs> along the line. Uh, but just a reminder that if you want to win the Clive Tilsley commentary chart, then you'll have to tell me who scored Bolt Mondra's fourth goal in the Papa John's Trophy final and send all the details that I mentioned at the top of the show All the instructions are also in the notes for the podcast, or if you're listening via the Bolton News website, which I know a lot of you do, just scroll down the rest of the story. It's all there. All the information is there, plus a link to the email address. Um, This has been a pretty weighty podcast this week. Plenty of big stuff. So we thought we'd leave you um, with a palate cleanser, I suppose. Um, I was delighted to meet the Wanderers fans who came all the way from Argentina to watch the team at Wembley. Um, they watched the Exeter game. Um, they watched the Cambridge game as well. Uh, lovely, lovely guys. I hope we see them again someday. Um, our in-house keyboard warrior, Simon Woods, set about composing a song for them. And, and I think, I, I can't think of any better way of ending the show. So um, until next week, I've been Mark Anything But Sweet Caroline Isles. And I've been Henry, standing by the side, watching Mark get famous on TikTok, you it. <laughs> Q Simon song, this has been the puff. They came to watch the mighty wonders of Wembley. They saw us win all the way from South America, all the way from They travelled down to Exeter, reunited with their flag. All the way from South America, all the way Seven thousand miles. That's a long way. Even in Spanish. Seven thousand miles. Further than breakneck. Seven thousand miles. They were on the TV and the radio, and they got to meet Sharon Britton. From the country, they gave us Messi, Maradona, and Adiles. All the way from South America. All the way from Seven thousand miles. Further than Bromley Cross. Just past Farnworth. Seven thousand miles. Near Doc Cocker. Have a safe journey home. See you next time.